This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. Education. When you hear the word as an adult, you kind of feel like it's not relevant, right? I mean, we've already graduated high school and college and graduate school, whatever it is. I'm done with education. But today, education has a totally different paradigm. It is no longer confined to a classroom and a desk. It is no longer only for the youth. Education today has totally changed. And it could be accessed and it could be contributed to by everybody, no matter what your age is. As education pushes past the limits that it's currently been constrained to, the world has changed. Today, I have Josh Joseph, the Senior Vice President of Yeshiva University, who's going to talk about what education is, where it's going, and how It can change your life. Delving into current events. To uncover relevant wisdom. wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show. With Charlie Harari. On the Blaze Radio Network. The operating responsibility for the administrative and academic aspects of the university. As you all know, running a top 50 university is not easy at all. And Josh Joseph is... One of the people that are standing at the top of the university really making sure that it works both from an administrative perspective but also academic and an individual who really gets a unique vantage point from how to see the world both from an operational place and more importantly as a university individual from a place of content, education, and what's really moving today and tomorrow's students. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Thanks. for joining us. Thanks, Charlie. It's great to be here. It's great to have you on and I'm excited that you're on. And you sit at a very unique place. You sit you're the senior vice president of a major university, which is a corporation, right? It's like any other corporation it runs. And at the same time, you sit at a place where what you do for a living is content. It's unbelievable. That's what universities do. They try to prep tomorrow's leaders. They try to prep tomorrow's uh, thought leaders and, and change agents of the world. Um, so let's jump in right away. I know our listeners are excited to hear from you. Uh, what are the things that you think from where you stand? Now you're living in a world of change, things are happening. What are some of the lessons that you think are the most important to impart on today's students to help them for the future? Thanks, Charlie. I mean, there's a lot that I could answer to that question. And I think, you know, just as a framing point, I want to start with Sir Dr. Ken Robinson's points that he makes in his book, The Element, uh, that he's uh, TED Talker, that he's spoken about. 
And that is that it's the job of everybody in education, no matter what level, from nursery school through graduate school and so on, to look at the student and help them figure out, one, what their passions are, and two, where they are most skilled, and then find the point of connection between them. And that is their element. And so I think it's the job of us, of ours in higher education, but really along the continuum of education, to think about developing both a knowledge base so that somebody can grow in depth, uh, develop a passion for a topic, but also to work on those skills, figure out where they're really good and what they can be really awesome at. And when they find that point, that point of connection, that sets them up. Uh, and why that's particularly important uh, in this day and age is probably because in a lot of respects, in many areas, that what we used to think of as the corporate ladder, you know, where you were told that you would enter at a certain point and grow from there, that doesn't really exist as much. Right. People think of it more as a jungle gym. <laughs> um, I never so, heard it like that. Yeah, uh, jungle gym. Get, so it's get, so true, though, right? Like, right. There's no more ladder. I don't think there is there is any existence of any ladder anywhere. You're swinging from things, <laughs> You're holding on by a things, thread. Right? Exactly. You're hitting the floor multiple right. times. And, oh well. So that's a great point <laughs> that you make. You're gonna hit the floor. You're going to hit the floor both. You're going to hit a ceiling sometimes because maybe you got really into something and that's no longer a service that's needed or it's no longer mm -hmm. an area that's developing. Maybe you even get bored of it, you know, if, you're the, if you have that kind of luxury, uh, you know, some maybe white collar areas. Um, but you're, you might get bored or you, you might run out of a, uh, your skill level. And so the more you can invest in yourself whether as a young person or in continuing education. I mean, I'm already old, right? I'm ancient. I'm 43 years old. I just started this year a doctoral program. Mm -hmm. And it is amazing being able to go back and be in the classroom and be with a cohort of people my age, thinking and growing. And one of the things that higher education is realizing and that the government is realizing, and this is across the world, a global phenomenon of continuing and adult education, where it's not just, oh, I'll pick up a book or I'll go to a, a lecture at my, uh, you know, at my kid's school or, or wherever it is. JCC or something. That's right. So what you're saying is something is very fascinating because I'm hearing a shift in how you are presenting education, which is relevant to whether you're listening to this and you're in your 50s or your 40s or you've got kids or what you're saying is that in the old days, you walked in, they taught you stuff. And they had these sort of prepackaged things to teach you, and here's what you need to know. And you sort of walked yourself through uh, school, climbing up whatever is that sort of prefabricated educational ladder, and in hopes that you would get enough information to get out to the world to then get on the next ladder, which is called the corporate ladder, which you would stay for until you retire, and then Florida or wherever else you head last. Um, and now you're saying the whole world has changed in a way, education, or it's changing where education isn't anymore, isn't supposed to be anymore sort of a linear path. It's dynamic. Part of the goal of education, especially at the higher levels, once you get, I guess, I'm guessing that younger level, you still got to figure, you still got to learn geometry and algebra, but let's assume that that's, you get to the upper levels, right? The, the high schools, the colleges, and the goal isn't to say, hey, listen, you want to be in finance, here's 10 courses. You want to be in management, you want to be in biology. It's let's see if we can help you figure out these important you know, sort of inner 
I can even say metaphysical concepts, right? Of like, what are you really good at? What do you connect to? What are things that you really are drawn to? And how can I, as the university, figure out how you can find your path? Because if you don't find your path, you have nothing else to rely on because there's no more ladders. I want to agree with you because you were agreeing with me, but I want to disagree with okay, you on good. two points. I like points. that. Good. Okay, <laughs> so I'm really disagreeing with myself to a certain extent, which I do sometimes. So the first point is that I don't think it's just at higher education levels. I was talking with my son the other day. He's in the 10th grade, high school. I'm blessed. He has his mom's brains. Very smart boy. But he said, you know, I don't understand why I'm in class. And like, there are certain classes that I take where I'm really ahead and you know, I don't want to wait for the teacher to have to explain it to everybody else. I want to keep going because I'm excited. But now I got to wait and then I get bored and then I miss a point and I got to get somebody else's notes. And, the, and now I look like I'm not good in the class because, you know, I got bored and I didn't pay attention. Right. But in another class, I know I'm being annoying because I keep raising my hand saying, I don't understand this. How, explain this to me. Explain this to me. And I can see the other kids rolling their eyes saying, oh, come on, it's history. I got it. And they, you know, just, you got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so, so there is even at, you know, high school, middle school levels where you have flipped classrooms, you have Khan Academy, where you can learn at different rates than other people and still be in a social environment and still connect with people. So I'm not I'm I'm yeah, not saying that it's just that. in higher education. But, you know, I saw Ken Rob. I think I saw Ken Robinson says something great. He goes, "If you notice today, it's interesting. People get put into classrooms based on." Their age, it's like just it's like date of manufacture. Right, you know, it just happens to be that you're right. born at the same time as someone else. It doesn't mean that you're just as good as science or math. I see this with my kids as well. I see this with myself. Like, you're right. There are areas where like I can pick up quicker, and some areas that I'm just I'm just slower at. And I, I guess that's exactly the right point. I mean, but can schools even adapt? I mean, it must be so incredibly expensive to adapt on a very individual level, or with technology today, it's possible. I think it is possible, but technology moves quickly. So it's catching up to technology. Mm-hmm. By the time you get caught up with the latest thing, it's on Moving to something on, right. else. So there is there there are some concerns and there are some issues with that. And funding is always a, always an issue. And I'm not saying everybody does this great, but I'm saying those opportunities exist even at a very young age. And so that's what, just one point that I right. wanted to sort of disagree with. The other point is that I don't think it's just about developing a trade or a skill. That when you have an opportunity, because not everybody does, but when you have the opportunity to go to college, you have to invest in yourself beyond just developing skills. You have to get a breadth of ability because what's happening in five years and 10 years, that's completely uncertain today. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons you could climb a corporate ladder is there was more stability. Now everything is happening and changing rapidly Um, from a technology perspective, from a knowledge perspective, from the global economy. So now you have to be prepared to be an entrepreneur. And you have to look at your life entrepreneurially. It doesn't just mean you go out and you find a spouse and you're going to be entrepreneurial about your spouse and your family. Oh, I like this family. I don't like that family. Certain things not. But when it comes to a job, when it comes to a career, when it comes to developing your passions, developing your skills, there you got to be a little bit entrepreneurial. And entrepreneurial, you mean in the perspective of 
you know, not necessarily starting your own business, but from the perspective of uh, adapting to environments. So Absolutely. the doctors have to be entrepreneurs. Absolutely. The, the therapists have to be entrepreneurs. The history majors have to be entrepreneurs. The professors. In the back, if you take every major sort of safe job. When I grew up, I was told, you know, be a doctor. That was like sort of my level of education. So, okay, my bio grades reflected that that wasn't working out. So then my, my second option was to be a lawyer. After that, my parents were going to disown me. Then I, I think I could have been an accountant, but it was three and out. So- but the reason why they told me doctor, lawyer is because that was considered to be safe, right? You're a lawyer. So what you're saying is no matter where you are in the spectrum of education, and I would even go as far as saying based on your first comments where you don't have to be in college anymore. No matter where you are in life, you have to approach your career from a perspective of grappling, protecting, defending, and securing against uncertainty, because that's the only thing that's certain. The only thing that's certain today is uncertainty. Yeah, that's great. And, and, that's and, great. I love you know, that. Uh, the one of the wise sages of the Jewish religion, uh, Hillel the Elder, um, once exclaimed, uh, "If you're not adding, if you're not growing, if you're not moving forward, you're drying up." Mm, I love that. You're drying up. I love that. Yeah, and and I, I think that's a big thing. I think that's by the way the only level of security. I just had this conversation with somebody who was on a, a tenure track at a university, and he was explaining to me that he's a young guy, and he was saying to me that he is trying to become irreplaceable, because being irreplaceable is his only way of securing tenure, meaning you don't need a tenure board to give you tenure. You just need to be the best professor ever, because if you'll be the best professor ever, you'll have a job as a professor, because your skill set, maybe that particular university, but your skill set will be one that the market needs you, even in an area that's more sort of non-market driven like a university. Right. So it's one, one other thing you mentioned before, you were talking about, you know, oh, you know, people who want to go into law or medicine. And you said, even a history major. And, and uh, you know, I'm not going to take offense to that You're because I am major? a history major. <laughs> but, have been prepped better. Yeah, I know. It, <laughs> it's okay. But I think, you know, one of the things about being a history major, and I know you don't mean history per se, but right. you know, sort of the liberal arts, and the reason right. we, we knock the liberal arts is where is that go? Where are you going with that? Right. But there's a renaissance. Listen to this now. There's a renaissance in the liberal arts because people are finding that the skills you get and the broad base that you get from a liberal arts education actually prepares you in the ways that I'm talking about to be entrepreneurial uh -huh. because you're learning a broad base of right. information, but not just information. You're learning a broad base of skill. You're learning a broad base of different approaches to things, mm -hmm. quantitative, qualitative, writing, oral presentation that you can use in so many multiples of jobs mm -hmm. and careers. And those kinds of things help you to be set up so that you can go... And do the things and shift when and if you need to. So, so let me ask you this. From your place, and I love what you just said. And by the way, I'm a poli sci major in college. <laughs> <laughs> so for, just from what, what you're saying, because this is really relevant to everybody, I think, who's listening, not necessarily the, the, the students that are in high schools and colleges. You know, you're in a situation right now and, and you're unhappy with your job or you're, in, you're unsecure in your career, etc. What I'm hearing you say is as follows. You have to follow your passion because your passion, it may not be that you have to go off and be, you know, follow your hobby, that, that could be, but your passion, your, your learning passion is going to give you some measure of um, openness or a, a outlet of becoming great at something. And in your, in your becoming great at something, that's going to be where you're going to be the most valuable and in an environment 
of such uncertainty, your value is key. So if it's history, if it's literature, if it's math, you need to be able to engage in a subject matter, like you said, like we opened up the show, where you can find that cross between what you're passionate about and what you're skilled at. And that's, in a way, the the, the focus of education. Not necessarily the way I grew up, and I think the way you grew up, which is, fi- I grew up with, find a major that leads you to a job. There, here are 20 jobs that's, that's going to get you the life that you want. Okay, now let's back it in. So I became a poli-sci major because that's how you, that's what a pre-law major is. And I went to college and said, okay, I want to be a lawyer. I've never been a lawyer. I mean, I've seen enough. I saw a few good men and I saw a couple of great law movies and who doesn't want to be Tom Cruise screaming at Jack Nicholson? And so I said, okay, law, check the box. And I go, okay, let's back end it. It must be poli-sci, right? Because that's what pre-lawyers do. They study poli-sci. But what you're saying is it, you actually have to flip it a little bit now especially as you get older, you have to ask yourself, okay, what can I be good at? What can I really enjoy? What can I get underneath? What can I be passionate about? And get really good at learning that. And that, whether you're an adult, look, you're, you're, you're going for a doctoral program in your 40s, right? Adult education, online education, high school education, college education. Education doesn't end when, you're, when you turn 23, and I'm asking, I'm, not, I'm just trying to, to reframe it, is that sort of the path, if you will, towards personal greatness in, 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 in your life? Look, I don't, I don't have a recipe for personal greatness. I don't. That's why I'm friends with you, Charlie, so I can <laughs> learn how to do those things. I do think, you know, when you talk about succeeding, making it, getting there, um, so Jim Collins adds a third circle. We talked about passions and talents, and Jim Collins in Good to Great, when he's talking about all the great companies that make it, um, he has something called the Hedgehog Principle. So, right, there are foxes out there, and I used to be a fox, not in the good-looking sense, <laughs> but like, you know, like, I wanted to do everything, jack of all trades, like, let me try everything, like, that right. was like, you know, I loved the smorgasbord of, of life, life, you yeah. know? Um, but he adds a third, so there's passions, you know, what can you, you know, what do you really love to do? There's talents, what are you really good at? But then there's a third circle, right? We call that reality a little bit, and that's, where can you make a dollar? Where are you going to be able to like find an audience, a market for what it is that you're both passionate about and talented at? So, so there is that third, that third piece of you it, the reality to, right. that I wanted to just include um, in there. Um, and I think that that is why, because that market is always changing, right? That's why you always have to be a lifelong learner. Mm-hmm. And you have to be adaptable. You have to be flexible to these new things. And so be, your, your passions might change, true. Like you might get interested in new kinds of things and your talents might change. I don't think you're going to get worse at something, but maybe other people might get better at it or do it for cheaper or however. But when that market changes and all of a sudden you don't need people to fix, you know, a certain kind of television. Well, if you haven't learned how to fix the new kind of television, nobody's going to call you to be the TV repairman anymore. But do you find that person is different or if they're just an evolved individual for where they were beforehand. So the guy who's reading t- TV manuals in high school isn't the same guy who is reading, you know, high-tech, you know, uh, space manuals. You know, isn't that what it isn't that what it is? Isn't it what it is is you got to at some point in your life you got to get connected to, to your passion. Regardless if you can make a buck, you got to do it. You got to have it. It's got to be part of your life because if it's not, you're missing the you. And as your life evolves, there may be more or less opportunity to make money on it. 
Or you may need to adapt that passion to shave off here, add here as you, the market changes, right? So I can see I can see literature majors, you know, fighting for tenure five years ago or or starving, and now finding outlets in you know online courses or in blogs or in other venues as content starts to become democratized through the internet. But isn't it at some point in your life, no matter what that third you know, sort of economic engine Jim Collins circle says to you, unless you're finding the thing that you love to do, whether that's in a skill or a substance, whether that's in an area, you're not going to be, you're not going to feel secure because you're going to know at your core that you're not fulfilling your passion. And so you're not going to have that intangible awesomeness. I, I think I agree with you. I will just, I just want to give the following warning. It's not easy to find. I went for a long time trying to figure out. I just, I either loved everything or I hated everything. Or, you know, I just, I never found that one thing. I, I still today, I'm not sure exactly if I know what that one thing is. I have several priorities, you know, Um, but finding that one thing, you know, I think there's a bit of a, a, you build up a scare tactic around that. People's like, well, I don't know what it is. Am I supposed to find that at 18? Am I supposed to find it at 23? Mm, I'm 32 and I don't know what it is. I'm 43. I don't know. So I think there are substitutes for it, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't mean you don't have to keep seeking it. That, that's what I was getting right? at. You can keep seeking it. And that yeah. I agree with 100%. Yeah. But to say, oh, I know what my passion is. And then what happens two years later, seven years later? I thought my passion was X. I don't really love X anymore. What's right. wrong with me? Right. Nothing. Nothing's wrong with you. Right. You your passions right. change, your likes and your wants and your interests, they change. But unless you're continually growing mm-hmm. and looking at new kinds of things, you're not going to figure that out. Right. You're not going to keep growing in that way. And that's why I believe in education as a value, because it keeps opening you up to different kinds of things. And while, yes, it's important to get depth and expertise in certain areas... Or in one area, at the same time, you want a bit of that breadth, or maybe a lot of that breadth, like to see where it's going to take you. Right now, as and, and as your role um, in the university, do you feel that w- what one of the trends that are, that we're seeing in the market today is this adult education? You think that's going to be the wave of the future? More people um, as they get older, not stopping to learn more baby boomers or whatever the next generations call, are people more and more going to be engaged in adult education as it becomes easier to attain? Or do you find that it's just the same few curious learners are out there fighting for it? They did it, you know, last generation by going to local libraries. And uh, where do you see the trend at with that? You know, it's hard to know what the chicken is and and what the egg is here. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I can't see that far into the future. Um, I know that uh, President Obama here in the United States, he has certain goals and targets of attainment, how many people he uh, would like us to graduate as a higher education uh, world mm-hmm. um, so that the you know the economy will be supported by all these graduates with bachelor's degrees, um, with specific kinds of bachelor's degrees. Um, Will we reach those attainment levels? There are a lot of questions about that now mm. by policy uh, experts uh, to say, well, we're, you know, are, we're, are we getting enough people into college mm. with the right abilities and skills? Do we need what, kind of, what kinds of remediation do we mm. need at the collegiate level? Mm-hmm. Because the other levels aren't being, you know, supporting it. So 
you know, I, I do see there's a role there, uh, a role as a gateway uh, to the economy. But then when I say the economy, do you know, Charlie, what the five key areas are for the economy in the next five years? In the next 20 years, can you be confident? Well, you said before your parents, you know, medicine, law, right, legal, right. and accounting. Is that the future? Law school applications across the world, especially in the United States, are way down. Yeah, no, way there's down. no question. You well, know? I, I, yeah, I completely agree. I think it's education no matter what. I mean, no matter where you go, your ability to be educated about the, the next thing is going to be everything. So education will always be... Um, on people's minds, and the question is, what subject matter? I think you're absolutely. Right. I see. I, I, you know, I remember when I was a kid. I teach entrepreneurship at Yeshiva University. I remember when I was a kid. I don't even think there was an entrepreneurship class, let right. alone anyone in that class, because that meant you couldn't get a job. Right. Entrepreneurs were another way of saying it's, a, it's like I'm in between jobs. Is right. saying I'm an entrepreneur now. Like you know, the entrepreneur classes are filled to the, to the gills, and you're not teaching a lot of. Su I mean, you're teaching substance, but it's the substance of running things, adapting to things. Um, but I, I think ultimately education is is the future. But like you're saying, I think the question that people have that's on people's minds is what does it look like in the future? Like take someone like Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel has come out as a sure. very vocal opponent towards higher education. It's not like, listen, opponent, just predicting that it's going it to largely fade away and that you'll only have a few major universities and a lot of it will be online and so on and so forth. Yeah. But look at the data on MOOCs. Who's taking MOOCs, right? These massive open online courses. It's a lot of the same kind of people who are self who are self taught and so on. Uh -huh. and, you know, it's not clear that it's this worldwide phenomenon yet. Things could change. Um, so you know, some people they need a little hand holding. So you're saying that universities are going to be around for a very long time. People are not anytime soon that you're seeing from your vantage point, because few people are at your vantage point. As to what's the next big thing? Will kids that are right now in eighth grade be going to colleges the way we went to colleges? Will they be the know, way we did? No, they're not. They're going to school. They're getting half the stuff online. They're they're changing it. Look, I I, I this is not an ad for Yeshiva University, but I'm going to give you like a little factoid about Yeshiva University. We've had summer school every. You know, people take summer courses. I you know I want to get ahead. I want to do this. I want to take a chemistry. I want to take a math. Some some subject. So this year, for the first time, we are offering uh, online courses over the summer. We also have bricks and mortar, regular courses, uh, but we offered online courses, uh, you know, a number of them. So this year, this summer, we have as many, maybe a little bit more of people taking bricks and mortar courses. We have that number plus of people who want to take online courses. Mm -hmm. And it's not because our student population is more is larger and it's not be, and this is all YU internal. It's going to be offered to others, but this we started, you know, with, with a pilot just for our students. And it's not because these courses are so much better or so much different than the other courses, but they're learning in different ways. They're excited about the modalities of it. Right. So, I don't think that my kids, even my kids, 10th grade, 8th grade, 6th grade, 7th grade, um, are going to when they get to college, there'll be more hybrid learning. Technology will be more in integrated into the classroom. You can excel at your own pace in a better way. So where the market is going is the way we open up, which is we're moving towards a place where you can excel at what you're really good at in a much better way because there's you're not waiting for that space-time problem, teachers, desks, courses, because technology has now changed that. And more important than technology, 
people at the top of these universities are aware of it and they're not resisting it. Right. And and you'll get resistance. And by the way, there will be places that will be you old know, school cohort based. So I'm my doctoral program is a advanced program, but it's not a lot of technology. It's very cohort based. So every classroom engagement is everybody together. Mm-hmm. And so there are there is that. There's also now these models, competency-based models that mm-hmm. some colleges and universities are moving towards for classroom. Instead of classroom experience, you're getting experience, what people call real-life experience. And then you take competency tests to see how far you learned and what you learned doing. And there are certain areas where you can learn. How many times have you heard, you were a lawyer, right? And somebody said to you, uh, whatever you learn in law school, it's totally different when you get to the Paul Weisses or you get to whatever law firm you're going to be in, right? Totally. You're going to learn because you need to be apprenticed. You need to actually be on the job. Right. So do you need different kinds of learning now, right? Do you need both classroom kind of learning as well as hands-on kind of learning that should count towards getting you accredited to be able to do the job that you, that the world needs you to do? So what happens to the rest of us? What do you think a regular person who's out in the field can do to to take advantage of this new movement. I mean, I get it if I'm a kid and I'm in high school now, I get to walk into this university and I, I got to take anyways 20 classes and thanks to guys like you out there in the street, you're now able to have someone else think through how best to educate me and as a result, I pay you a lot of money. Right. What do I do if I'm a... Um, I'm out in the street, I'm looking for a second career or maybe I'm trying to enhance my current career. What can I take advantage of where the market is going so that I can be better educated? There are so many options. I don't even, I'm not even sure where to begin, right? You could do a course, just take a class, one class, try it out. It's not just somebody sitting in front of a video camera giving their regular lecture. These are interactive. Mm -hmm. They work with the student at the student's pace and there's opportunity to grow within those programs. You could take a course, you could take a certificate, And at the end, you get a certificate in a certain type of law, a certain type of technology training, a certain type of uh, history, right? You could do a master's. There are executive programs that are online, right? You can get an EMBA, right? You can get an MBA online. And it's online? Sure, absolutely. Wow. Right? An IMBA, they call it now, right? Uh, Completely online. Mm -hmm. You can get... um, uh, DBAs, you can, you, you, right? You can get these advanced degrees without having having to leave your house or your office. I mean, and, I mean, you may have to go in every once in a while. It depends on how you learn. I'm the kind of guy I want to be in a classroom, right? Now I want to be able to do stuff at my own pace, but I like the fact that my teacher, my professors, and my program says, "Here's the program. Here's what you have to do. You have to hand in the papers. Then it's not your own pace." You don't just get to do it when it is your own pace, but you right. still have a final on this day and you still have a paper due on that day and you still have a team report and the other teammates are going to depend on you for your final that's due on that day. Mm-hmm. So I like that kind of structure. That's the kind of thing I need, but I also like the human interaction. And so I need that mm-hmm. in order to push me. I need some of that peer pressure in order to keep going. So you know best how you learn, Charlie. Right. right? And I think what you're getting at, which is an important point for everyone to take home, which is... Many of us are not old enough to have been in, in this situation where education has evolved like it's evolving today. I'm sure people are having these conversations 20 years ago, probably not on podcasts, but they were having conversations about how best to educate students. With the advent of the internet and, and, and its accessibility, the conversation moved to an entirely new level. It's exponentially different. And so 
what I'm hearing as you're talking is, yeah, if I were 20 years younger, I'd be having a different conversation with you. But now that I'm not, it doesn't matter because the beauty of the future of education is that my age, your age, 10 years older, 20 years older, at any age, you now can go back to college. You now can go and target something to learn and get the information that you need to be better or to be you, right? If you're in a job that you thought that's not tapping into your passion that was, was unavailable, you know, a couple of years ago, and it's only become more available in the future. And so not just the college kids out there, the general American world population now has a unique opportunity to tap into education that was once reserved for, um, for 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 just the higher education. So I, I want to. I, I agree a hundred percent with what you're saying. I, I want to f- just add that there's a whole world that you're not speaking to yet. Okay. We look at education as a private benefit. What am I, Josh? What do I get out of it? Right. My son, my daughter, my uh, my wife. When she gets education, what is she getting out of it? What is the student getting out of it? But there is also something called the public good. Education provides a public good. And when more people get educated and grow in their education, Charlie, the world becomes a more redeemed place. Because when a guy who's been working, a woman who's been working in a field for 50 years, comes back into the classroom, and that classroom might be online, and shares their perspective with somebody who might be 18, Wow. You mean they come back to those environments where they're mixing with kids that are younger? Why, why not? Because it's, a, it's the world of education now. It's online, right? So, uh, Oh, a, I hear you saying. A 65-year-old who just retired from a field. You've changed the platform now. But who's not ready to stop working and wants to be retrained uh-huh. is now getting into the classroom with an 18, 19-year-old, even if it's online, and they're sharing their wisdom, and they have a team project in management or entrepreneurship. Great. They're, you never they're, leave. You're adding a diversity of age of race, of religion, of geography, that is adding to a wealth of information because these interactions are richer. Wow. Because you're not just limited to sitting in a classroom with people who are all your age. So, so where we're going is you can now not only take information, you can actually give information because it's not anymore going to be, okay, 19-year-olds go to class A, 22-year-olds go to class C. It's 65-year-old coming back and, and, and sharing her thoughts and 28-year-old and you know man from Italy and woman from California. The beauty of virtual classrooms that are going to continue to dominate the landscape, they're not going to replace real classrooms, as you said, not only gives us the perspective of, hey, I can take information now, but it's I now can be part of a larger educational environment where I'm actually sharing my own experience. That's a, that's very powerful. Yeah, and I, I but I think what you're saying, which is what I what I hope the listeners are getting from what you're saying, is that you know I guess if you're listening to a, a podcast called Unlocking Greatness, you have to be somewhat of a of, of a learner or a self starter. But this is require the require the, the the opportunity now is in front of us. Now the question is, do we have the desire and the impact to move ourselves away from entertainment console A, which is wonderful, and that just entertains me because I love watching this show or that game or this game, and now move it towards, I need to sort of include in my weekly, monthly, yearly life a a piece of it that is 
educating myself in information to get better in what I'm doing. Right. That's amazing. And so I just, you know, to, to bring it back, you know, you started about, you know, my role, you know, in administration, right? Um, I see it as, and people in my position, our role is to facilitate learning. Mm-hmm. Right. It's yes. I get to be in the classroom occasionally and do a little teaching. Um, you know, when you invite me to co-teach with you, and those kinds of things. <laughs> those, are, those are good times. But yes. Yeah, so, but my role is to be able to run a business that facilitates the learner, every learner that's possible, to be able to learn. Mm-hmm. That's my opportunity. Right. It's my responsibility. What happens though when the world of education, like we've been talking about for the last little while, is changing? People don't always want to change. Not the people who are delivering the product and not sometimes even the people who are getting the product. And so in those kinds of times, my role becomes a little more active. I don't, know, I don't mean active. I mean more involved than maybe it should be in these processes. And if we had enough time to allow it and people would be more open to change who are involved, it would maybe wouldn't even need you know my my hand involved in it right but that is the cha- that's one of the challenges of of running this kind of business is where to put yourself in but yeah. also where to allow the process to evolve and to emerge as opposed to being proactively planned and strategized and made to, and implemented right and i can only, i can see this as, as a big issue i mean i can imagine that a lot of the the faculty in academia have been on a path that has been a path that has been set for them for their careers for years. So you get on a path when you're young and they say, okay, X years, and then you got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do this and you got to publish this and teach this. And and then you get a certain level of safety and security so that you can go and launch your career. And as the world starts to change, I'm sure it's daunting for individuals that have been put on a path to change. I know it's happening in every industry. People are saying, wait a second, every industry that technology comes and replaces or supplements uh, what was once brick and mortar now starts to put people at, at, in, on the defense. And I can only imagine that in the academic setting, it's it's even heightened in a certain way. Um, well, just think back to our paradigm from Ken Robinson, right? On the one hand, they have this passion for the subject, political science, history, English literature, uh, entrepreneurship, whatever the area is, biology, chemistry. They have that passion. They grow, they grow in expertise to a point where they are you know, the highest degrees and research that's published and well-read and respected for all these things. And then they also have to develop a skill, which is sharing that information with a class, right? That, that does, one thing doesn't necessarily lead to the other. Right. If you're an expert at biology, that doesn't necessarily mean you're- You can impart that. But you take, they're serious people. They take it upon themselves. I also want to be an excellent teacher and I want to deliver it, right? So you have that nexus that we were talking about, their element. But what happens when the path to teaching it changes? It's great. They're reading the biology. They're learning about the biology. They're doing the research, and they're developing their expertise further and further. But this sort of secondary thing, which is the teaching, which is the modality for reaching their desired audience, the student, changes. Mm -hmm. Or some administrator tells them it's changing. Right. Right? Right. It's a challenge. It's not easy. But that's what we talk about, the lifelong learning process. Right. Being open to those things, of having the flexibility to be entrepreneurial in your role. It's a challenge. It's difficult. Right. But if it works, it's a beautiful thing. Right. Let me ask you this. Um, Your 
you, you've seen so many students come through your stead. You are involved in a lot of different areas of education. Some, what are some of the skills, if you will, some of the, you know, some people that call them soft areas. I don't think they're soft, but, you know, what are some of the um, skills that people need that when you see that in students, you think these are the most important things that they're going to have in life? You know, we spoke about the there are certain things, adaptability and whatever it is that you're going to need to know in addition to your subject matter to make it. What are some of these life lessons, ideas, or skills, or insights that you find are of the most important that when a student leaves the university, should they have these figured out, they're in a the best position to adapt to where whatever is coming their way? So um, David Brooks uh, recently published a, a book, The Road to Character. Um, I, I just started it. Um, we talk about books when we get together yeah. sometimes. This is one of them. Uh, he came to YU a few years ago. He got an honorary degree, and he spoke about the writings of Rabbi Soloveitchik, Hmm. who contrasts Adam 1 and Adam 2, and really their concepts of majesty and humility. And the way he frames it here is, are you busy writing your resume, or are you busy writing your eulogy? Hmm. Wow, wow, what a paradigm. Right, and so I think that what you're asking, what you call the soft skills, right? Or people call the soft skills or the soft character traits that sometimes need developing. We call that values, morals, ethics, act- actions and beliefs that help you to grow, that help you to help others to grow. Those are the values. That's what you stand for. That's what you believe in. That is your character. Mm-hmm. That's what the eulogy is about. Mm. Not the line on the resume necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I, I've spoken about, and others, uh, you know, I've spoken about uh, notably Daniel Goleman from Harvard Business School, uh, emotional intelligence. Yeah. And it talks about the different competencies that make up the emotional intelligence, whether they are related to self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, or relationship management. But all of those competencies in there, right, have to do something to do with what are my priorities? What are my values? How do I work on these competencies, these skills? Because I'll be a better person, because I'll help people better, I'll be able to work with them. And when Nitin Noria became dean of Harvard Business School a few years ago, emotional intelligence was one of the three things, in addition to entrepreneurialism, which we've talked about, and globalization or interna- internationalization, which we spoke about a little bit as well. But the third is emotional intelligence. That's yeah. what he wants his students who graduate from Harvard MBA to come out with. The ability to work, to know who they are and to be able to work with other people and to know how to do those things. So I'm hearing you say the word value, and value has two different meanings. Both of them are incredibly important. <laughs> right, true. Value can be how you conduct yourself, values, and value can be your, what you offer to people. Mm-hmm. Now, you find those two separate things or one and the same? <sighs> I, I, yeah, I think they're two separate things. I, 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 um, I think they're related. Right, I yeah, think, think we so. we have our own values, but you can also be of value uh, to someone else through your values. So they relate to each other. Because um, I think that's incredibly important. I mean, I think if you come out with a perspective of, I need to always add value, 
to people um, within a context of doing it through my values, right? So I'm not going to, you know, hurt people. I'm not going to take from people. I'm not going to, you know, advance on someone else's expense. But I'm always thinking about how I can add value. I think that's a skill that if more people knew, we'd have more success. Well, I think, first of all, the president that I work for, Richard Joel, he talks about the value of values, Mm -hmm. right? So first we have to accept that there is value in values. We don't often speak to it, right? Right. It it gets winning sometimes, right? Winning, right? Success. What what do values have to do with that? If at the end of the day, your P&L shows you lost money, I don't... You can right. be the nicest guy in the world, right. you're going to be out of a job. Right. And that famous adage, which I think is completely incorrect, and Adam Grant shows that it is incorrect, that nice guys finish last. Right. Um, they, they don't finish last, they're just running a different race, yes, but they're, they're, they're finishing first. And I mean, I, I think that as a takeaway from what you're saying is that when you see students leaving your university, the ones that have this sort of values and the one that have this sort of value proposition... Is that is are those the students that you think have the highest chance to adapt, the highest chance to make it at the end of the day in in the ever changing world? Are are you saying that those would be better than the guy or woman who's a brilliant right and who it come, knowledge comes easy quote unquote to them because I'm sure they work very hard uh, or the hardworking student? I think that what value and values, flexibility, entrepreneurialism, emotional intelligence, they, these are added avenues to greatness. These are the added avenues to greatness. That doesn't necessarily mean that the person who's brilliant IQ off the charts is going to be less successful. Monetarily. Monetarily in terms of self-fulfillment or any mm-hmm. other way, right? Everybody- are they? But, let's, 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 let, but are they? Like, are they added or are they the pathways? That's what I'm trying to hone in on, especially as we talk about things like unlocking greatness, because I want to sort of articulate what are the pathways to greatness? What's the road? So can you live a life in which you're not in touch emotionally? Can you live a life where you're not adding value to people? Can you live a life where your values aren't in check and reach real greatness? You may make more money, but can you be a person of of, of greatness, even in your own eyes, if you're not walking out of a university or out of life with a sense of, um, I'm going to contribute something to the world. I'm going to, um, I have some sense of, of boundaries and I've, I've gotten that through education. I've gotten that through my, my attaining of, of a degree. I've gotten that through my life where whatever I am to do, I have to then put it into the engine of I need to add value to my company, my family, my life. And it is through that prism of adding value and through that prism of being able to have those values, I now have the strength to make a difference in the morning or adapt when things don't go well or or learn more because I want to grow more, like you said, and not just take education, but give education. Isn't that what it is? Isn't that value and values? These I'm just thinking about it right now. Isn't Aren't those avenues that a person can take for personal success? They, absolutely. They are definitely avenues. I just don't want to now go and say that everybody who's found success right, who's out there, who's found success, right? Like the football player who beat his wife or, right, who's making them 
a bazillion dollars, right? Does that mean that they have values and that they succeeded because of the values? No, they succeeded yeah. because they're incredible football players. They're just not great. Right? They, they could be great at football, but they're not. Oh. They they haven't achieved greatness. So, so now we're talking about greatness. Is you know, yeah. uh, you're defining it in in that way. Yeah. What do I personally believe? Yeah. So I, I, again, I I will go back, come back to David Brooks. Mm-hmm. Right when he talks about the Soloveitchikian ideas of majesty, mm-hmm. that kind of greatness, mm-hmm. humility, that's a greatness. Mm-hmm. Those greatnesses, I don't think you can achieve without values. I don't think you can achieve without a greater concept that you're reaching towards. Because greatness is is an ideal. Right. And I think what you're saying, and to wrap this up, is I think what you're saying here, and this is important, um, from a person who sits at, at the helm of education, to, to, to be able to say that even though the substance is important, in truth, let's pull it back and sure. realize that that substance to fit into a into a vehicle called values is incredibly important to everyone listening. Because I can't, if I want to know how I'm doing in life, sometimes it's not the money that I have or the titles that I have or the, the the touchdowns that I score. It really does pull back to that original sort of thought of education, which is value, values. These are the things that we need to think about, and these are the things that. As I chart through my unlocking greatness and as I chart through my own personal greatness, if I don't take a minute to stop and reflect on that, am I growing? Am I adding value? Am I learning more? Am I, am I adapting to the world? Am I finding my passion or am I just fighting for the, for the latest buck that's thrown in front of my face? I think that that's really how someone deepens um, to, to add their values. And I just think you know when you talk about unlocking greatness – you need a key. And one of those keys I've found personally is the key of values. Yeah, excellent. Josh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, having you on Thanks, was Charles. great. And um, we look forward to hearing more from you uh, in the future. And uh, I, I wish you the, the best success as you lead one of the top universities in this country towards greater and greater achievement. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network.